This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Aaron Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Today's episode is sponsored in part by LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible, a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips today's readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. And you can grab all those details in the show notes because now we're moving into the next conversation for our series for God and Country. If you've been listening along, and we sure hope you have, we've been tackling a variety of ways that faith and politics collide. And our aim here is to gain some clarity in how we think about and hold Hold on to our political perspectives. Now, Hannah, I especially appreciated the previous conversation about party politics and how we are to pursue the common good. I loved all that. But like all things, it raises more questions because there's a lot connected to this in terms of how are we actually going to accomplish this common good? I mean, there's a lot to do. There's a lot wrapped up in that. Absolutely. And one of the things that is really on brand for us, Erin, is that we do just introduce more questions. I mean, like, we should just brand persuasion as we have no answers, but we have a lot of questions. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> but, but to be fair, um, asking the right questions is a step forward, especially in conversations that be- have become entrenched. So there is this necessary curiosity that has to be at the root um, of conversation if we are going to move forward. So even coming into this series for God and Country, I'm sure some people heard we were tackling the topics of religion and politics and thought, well, you know, good luck to you. But (laughs) what can you say that you know, isn't already set. And I think right. I think for us, what we have hoped to do with this series is not necessarily say the same things, but kind of bring a level of questioning and exploration and curiosity to conversations that feel locked in. And I think that's one thing, especially when I'm meeting people online or I'm talking to people who have opposing viewpoints. If you don't have um, a shared ethic of I actually want to understand or I want to clarify or what is a possible way forward, then you're not actually in conversation. You really are in a fight or a debate with no clear goal toward common understanding and common flourishing. So I'm fine with more questions. Like (laughs) I'm good with all of the questions. 
I love all the questions because I feel like there's always so much more to an issue that I don't understand. Like, especially when I feel frustrated or unclear about something, my first inclination is that, oh, you're not asking enough questions or you haven't asked the right questions. There must be more to this. And so that curiosity factor, I think that's key here. And I see that as relating so well to our, even our faith in terms of how do you grow in your faith? And and typically it's not becoming more locked in and entrenched and um, feeling so certain that you know. It's more about how do you become curious? How do you become childlike? How do you look at the world with wonder and then try to understand the things that are a mystery and be Becoming okay with not knowing, being okay with knowing that, oh, this is really strange, or this is hard, or this is so complicated or complex. So I love this sense of curiosity. I think that's perfect in terms of setting up the rest of these conversations. Right. Because one of the things I hear a lot in conversations about both politics and faith is, well, it's actually really simple. You just need to do this. And while there is a simplicity to the gospel, um, a, a level at which childlike faith and dependence and, and trust in Christ is at its core and it is accessible to everyone, there is also um, a lot of depth and complexity to not just our, our faith or, or teachings of the church, but also living together in community and trying to pursue the common good. So when we talk about these questions, the idea of something being just this, or it's easy if you would only do this. Um, and so I think there is a call here with all of these conversations to um, broad-mindedness which I do not mean as tolerance of or acceptance of all truths is equal and everyone just needs to embrace everything that's said. That's not what I mean. What I mean is maybe an open-mindedness or a kind of mind that says, let's bring all the questions and all the information to bear and test it and go through the process that it's not just this solution or just this answer. There, there is a, you know, a complexity to these conversations. That that phrasing, just do whatever, just think this. I mean, I have been guilty of that. Like when I want there to be a speedy solution to something or someone who's struggling, I'm like, well, just do this. Like, like, just do that. <laughs> like, do the thing and get get the answer, get the results, move forward, you know, find your healing or <laughs> find your success or whatever it is. And I think that um, anything that we add on to just whatever, that does signal us like, hey, you're trying to take a shortcut, you're trying to get this conversation or this problem resolved in the easiest, quickest way possible. Now, there may be good motive for that. But Typically, it's going to take a bit more work than the shortcut will allow. Right. And I've heard it on all sides of the political spectrum. And I've heard it from all kinds of um, people of faith. You know, I've heard it as well. If we would just love our neighbor as ourselves, we wouldn't have these problems. And I was like, yeah, exactly. But 
who does that? And so right. because, How do you do that? because we That's... don't do that, it can't be just, or I've heard, well, we just need to preach the gospel, just preach the gospel that if you would just get people saved or they would commit to Christ, then there would be this groundswell of grassroots support and it would grow into changing our laws and policies because we would all just be doing what we were supposed to be doing. And so the, the tendency toward this oversimplification is present across the spectrum. It's it's not on one side, but I do hear these kinds of framings, like just preach the gospel, just love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and I do think that oversimplifies some of the questions and it, it almost in some ways centers us too, as if um, the, the individual you know, is of greater focus and significance than what's happening in the collective. Yes, that makes sense to me. So so let's tease this out a little bit. So you're saying if we would go with this thinking of just love your neighbor, like it's that simple, just do that, then it's like, okay, then I personally, I need to love my neighbor. And then all these other things that might be of concern to me or to the neighbor or to society as a whole would all somehow resolve themselves because the love I have for my neighbor would be that powerful. Now, on the flip side of that, Hannah, I do think that we are called to do those things. The question is, is it just that? Is it just like, is it powerful enough where if I just love my my neighbor next door, <laughs> would that be the thing that would then be the spark that would change our community, our city, our state, our nation, our world? Would it have that effect? Right. And here's the dilemma. If you are thinking in very simplistic policy solution terms, or you're thinking in very individualistic, what is my practice? What do I need to do? I need to just love my neighbor as myself. Well, if you don't actually delve into the complexity of how our society is established and who your neighbor is, the fact that you live in one neighborhood, like physically, geographically speaking, and you are in one school for a reason, you could potentially satisfy yourself completely that I have loved my neighbors. I have loved the people closest to me. I have worked for their good and never recognize that there is a reason why some people are not your neighbors, why there are categories of people that we aren't even coming in contact with because of the way society has structured and thus we don't give attention to their concerns because they are not close to us. And so Again, that question of, yes, love your neighbor as you love yourself, but also ask why you have certain neighbors. Ask why certain people come into your proximity and other people don't. And so I think that's where we have to push back or push beyond maybe. Maybe the just is a starting point, but there has to be a curiosity that that leads us further um, than the just as if that baseline is enough. I always find that as I am loving my neighbor well, part of loving them is understanding who they are. And that will help give me insight into, well, what is it about their life? What What is it that they struggle with? And how do I understand them and what's good for them? So then that comes back to some of that common good. But 
we're also challenged, well, who is my neighbor? I mean, that was asked of Jesus, like, okay, you say this, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus sort of tore that apart and and called us to love more than just the person who's like us right next door. It is who are those people who are uh, oppressed, who are downtrodden, who are mourning, who have lost. You know, we are called to go to them and to be a neighbor to them. So I think that the simplicity of just do this thing actually isn't ever that simple. Um, and it actually has a depth and a weight to it that then flips it from what am I doing to, oh, how can I serve them? And how is it that my neighbors need help from me? And and that's a different type of connection than to that accomplishing of the common good. You know, Aaron, another just, quote unquote, that I hear um, spoken in Christian circles, especially as it relates to public policy or pursuing the common good, is the just preach the gospel um, approach, which has been set up as kind of a false dichotomy to whether we should pursue um, public policy that pursues social justice or different concerns. And so um, the phrasing just preach the gospel, I think, is built on this assumption that if we just proclaim um, Jesus and if we proclaim the truth that we're all sinners and we all need Jesus, um, then all of these social sins where we are wrong, we are wronging our neighbor, will be taken care of. And so it's almost a grassroots approach that says you have to get enough people saved to change society. So mm, if you like the tipping point, yeah, right. <laughs> get, en- get enough people saved and then woo, like, let's just preach the society's going to go over <laughs> and we're going to have individual conversions. And at some point, if we're doing our job, those individual conversions will mass will grow to a mass that will ultimately change society. And so, again, it's it's a very individualistic approach that it would be a one-on-one, let's preach the gospel, see people changed, um, and then that would result in um, a changed society. We don't need to give attention to systematic concerns. We don't need to give attention to public policy that may be unjust because we just need just, we just need to see individual conversions and people um, becoming like Christ. Well, I, I hear that as well. And I understand the the desire behind that, the the idea that the power of Christ in a person to transform you is is so life altering that it would affect how you love your neighbor and how you live your life. So therefore, society would change. Like, yes, I agree with that. But I don't know if this has been your experience, Hannah, but in my experience, my sanctification in Christ, my faith working its way into my life has been slower than I care for. (laughs) I don't know if you've had that where you thought your faith would, you know, change more about you more quickly than it would. But it takes time. And there are correctives that I need that need some help from other Christians, from really from friends and family, whether they know Christ or not, who can speak into my life and say, hey, here's a blind spot, or here's a weakness, or here's something that you keep tripping up on. So knowing Christ and knowing the gospel, it has changed me, but I still have a lot in me that needs to be um, 
coming under that newness of Christ so that I act differently, that I think differently, that I would love my neighbor better. And so I don't feel like that's just the cure-all, the immediate cure-all that we need. Right. And I think we have to remember that the frame of all of this is the question of how do we pursue common good, right? This has been the thread that we've been talking about through this whole series that public policy, political life, not just electoral politics, not just um, election year campaigns and all of that, but public policy as an institution is given by God to pursue um, common good and common flourishing. So one of the difficulties, especially for evangelicals who tend to interpret the gospel in a very singular experience in a singular way, is that we have this inherent tension between can something that we have interpreted as an individual good work for the common good. Like, what is the relationship between that paradox of, yes, there is the individual, but we also are um, more than the sum of the individuals. So there is something, there is a dynamic in play that actually happens at a systemic level when we are seeking public policy or the common good. And so when we use this code language for just preach the gospel, what it in what it says to people, what it what it communicates is you don't have to worry about public policy for common good or that systemic question. You only have to worry about yourself or your individual neighbor or your individual person that you're trying to see um, come into the kingdom. And I think that doesn't do justice to the paradox. I would agree with that. And I think that we don't really follow that line of thinking in all aspects of public life um, because we very much, as Christians, we've seen this be of concern where there are policies that we are fighting for in the public sphere. And I've, I, it seems to me like we've kind of picked certain things that we feel like we must fight for or work toward. And then Anything that might be a little bit more, um, let's say, uncomfortable or would infringe upon us a little bit more, we say, oh, no, just preach the gospel. Let's not deal with that. So I, I feel like there are some topics that we embrace this for and others that we don't. Right. We're not consistent. So I heard someone say once that um, the gospel is everything I already agree with politically and politics, quote unquote, <laughs> is everything I don't agree with. And yes! so when someone <laughs> challenges us on a particular policy issue, and we don't like it, or it pinches, or it's something we don't quite understand, it's very easy for us to say, well, you should just stick to the gospel. You shouldn't get political. And I think that's a very easy out. Um, because then other times when we're trying to promote a policy that we do think will pursue the common good, we say things like this is a gospel issue. And if you don't support it, I don't know how you could be a believer. Right. Uh, then it's all in question. Right. If the gospel has even come to bear on your own heart. I, I think I've heard this so much recently because of the the racial reckoning that we've had in our country as of late over the last, really the last year, but over the last few years, it it really has been coming to the forefront. And this is a question that Christians are wrestling with. And I hear it very often, one of the two ways, like either you are actively working toward 
um, social justice in that realm, or Christians are saying, wow, you've really gotten sucked into that. And it, it is a question of why are you placing that front and center? And I think that the question becomes, is it our responsibility to dig into these systemic issues and try to bring common good to bear? Does the gospel have a place in the public realm for the common good to upend these systems that aren't bringing thriving? They, they aren't allowing people to thrive in the way that the gospel would call us to uh, work toward. Yes, and I absolutely hear the criticism that it is possible to replace politics, replace the gospel with politics. I, I absolutely know in my own heart the ways that I trust having certain public policies enacted or having certain people elected to bring about not just my good, but common good. So there is a, a real temptation that we would replace political advocacy um, in the space where the gospel takes up space in our heart. Like, what are we trusting in? Um, but I would say that is something that is, you know, a temptation for right and left. That has no, that is not a feature of people who would be pursuing um, racial justice. It is as much a feature of people who are adamant that things um, need to go a certain way on the Supreme Court or something like that. So there is this real temptation that we could bypass the gospel, that we could ignore it, that we would not be subject to it. But I think what we often see in this language of just preach the gospel is not a leaning into, well, what is the gospel? How does that change us? How does that correct and confront us? More often, I see it used as, well, I have the gospel. I have goodness. I have accomplished this in my life. And so if you would do the same, you would be fine too. And so what I actually hear a lot of times is the very thing that's antithetical to the gospel. I don't hear grace. I don't hear dependence. I don't hear humility. I hear a self-confidence and a kind of surety in our own merit that I've got this right, you've got it wrong, and you just need to do the right thing, which is absolutely not the gospel. That really is concerning and true that we are preaching a gospel that is not the good news of Christ. It is the gospel of how America works or the gospel of how do you succeed here in this country. And it's it's sort of like, hey, we've got systems set up. And if you just did these things, then you would have the, the good life that is available to everybody. And I think that you're right, that it's the sense of um, the system works if you work it the right way. And then it really is a matter of are you behaving correctly to get the good life that's promised here in America. Right. And I think that circles back to what we started with about the idea of curiosity. When we encounter a space in common life that is not flourishing, when we see a lack of prosperity or a lack of um, common good, do we look at that and automatically say, well, obviously, your lack of flourishing, your lack of common good is because you didn't do the right thing. That this hard thing or these 
injustices have come upon you, it is be- not because the system needs fixing. It's because you need fixing and you have not done what you should have done. Curiosity withholds that judgment. It may be that a person is poor because they are very, very lazy. And it may be that they need to learn the goodness of work and calling and vocation, and they need to be freed from sloth. That may absolutely be a factor. But to make that judgment on the front, when you haven't paused long enough to say, here is a loss of flourishing. I wonder why. What is contributing to that? I think that's needed, Hannah, because I I think what I'm seeing here is a distinction. As we think back even to the question of loving your neighbor, if I'm going to love my neighbor, I need to know their name and their situation. And then it makes it very hard for me to pronounce that judgment of, oh, I see all these tragedies, and now I realize why you may be struggling with poverty or sloth or whatever that may be. But... If I don't know my neighbor, I can just say, oh, those people over there, they are doing that. And then I've not called them my neighbor. I'm calling them the other, the people who aren't behaving correctly. And so I think that that role of curiosity and wonder and um, really that willingness to step into their shoes, willingness to learn and not pronounce judgment, that's what's the hard part and the calling for us as Christians is to bring that to bear so that it can crack it open. It is hard. And it's particularly hard for people who have never been taught to think in these ways. It's particularly hard for those of us who have um, learned a certain way of existing in our faith, in our gospel identity toward politics. And I think it actually takes relearning and it takes an intentional work of a discipleship and spiritual formation to move toward these places. Like I don't want listeners to hear this and say, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I think this way, like there are reasons that we have been shaped to move to these conclusions as quickly as we do. And it's going to take intentional discipleship and conversation in context of Christian community to change the way we process what we're seeing. And I actually had the chance to talk with a pastor, um, Sam Heist, who is doing this kind of work within his church community where they are actively engaging the question um, of political discipleship, um, not discipleship into a party, not discipleship into certain policy issues, but how would we begin to really live as gospel people seeking the common good? And I had a great conversation with him. I'm talking with Sam Heist today. Um, He is a pastor in Indianapolis, and he has been doing some good work with his congregation in the space of spiritual formation and politics. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for joining us to talk today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Before we jump into the conversation, could you just give um, Persuasion listeners a bit more context about your ministry, your role there, and specifically about this project that you've taken on um, to help people grow spiritually within the context of their political formation? Yeah. 
So yeah, my role is pastor of formation at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. There is no formal connection to uh, Redeemer in Manhattan apart from when the church was planted. It was probably, hey, this is where kind of cool Presbyterian uh, churches, this is what they're calling themselves. Uh, But my role is kind of thinking through kind of big picture. How is Jesus bringing us uh, out of a place of sin and brokenness into wholeness in the gospel? And that kind of looks like, you know, our community group ministry, small group stuff, uh, as well as our adult education um, ministries, Sunday school, uh, different things that, that are going on there. And as I've actually, I'm fairly new in the role. We, we just moved shortly before uh, the coronavirus kind of changed ministry for everyone. We, we moved to Indianapolis in, at the end of January. And, but even as early as that point, um, as we were kind of thinking through plans for the year, one of the things that we had been talking about is this idea of like, hey, I, I really think that we should probably lean into some of these conversations around faith and politics. What does it look like to engage the political sphere in kind of a uniquely Christian way. Uh, and in a lot of ways, everything that we've seen over the last my, maybe five, six, seven months have, have kind of only confirmed our sense uh, of need for that, whether, you know, we're talking about kind of response to the coronavirus, you know, whether or not we should be wearing face masks, what we need to do kind of to, to engage sort of and kind of address the ongoing reality of racial, racial injustice. Uh, I think it is v- very obvious uh, to, to, to many of us that, that it often looks like the church just sort of is a mirror of the dynamics that we see in these broader conversations. Often there is the same sort of hostility, the same kind of lack of charity, the same sort of us versus them mentality that takes very complicated questions that, that need a lot of thought and nuance, but just sort of end up repeating kind of these partisan lines. And so we wanted to think through kind of what does it look like to engage uh, uniquely uh, as as believers, as, as citizens of God's kingdom? Yeah, I think um, I've seen similar things in context of the church mirroring um, the partisanship. And one thing, you know, I've always wanted to be clear about with our listeners is it, it is not simply among conservatives. Like, um, we maybe emerge from a conservative space or more inclined toward that, but there is this kind of way of being in politics that isn't really dependent on which side of the issue you are in. It's a almost a, a secular way of engaging politics um, that has little to do with the particularities of the issues. Um, and so I love to hear you using that language of engage, that, that you want to be intentional, you want to move toward the conversation, because it's also been my observation that in a divisive political moment, like an election year, um, it, it's more likely to be our instinct to disengage, to to pull back away from the conversation and say, well, we want to be all political or we want to um, just let that play out. So I love that you're taking an intentional engagement approach that that you feel like this is a conversation to start, to guide, um, to foster within your church. Um, what shape does that take for you? Yeah. Like, no, that's, how do you do that? That's a great question. Um, 
I, yeah, and in some ways, I think we, we will as the class. Like, so we're we at this point are we're we're getting ready to enter our third week of the class, and so we're still fairly early in this. And so, it, you know, we'll we'll see how things play out as, as the conversation uh, kind of moves forward. But I think that uh, the 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 burden that was kind of on our hearts and and kind of on me as I was thinking through plans for the class is, in some ways, I think that. Uh, one, one dynamic is like the average Christian probably spends like an hour or two under the teaching of kind of their local church uh, in a given week. Uh, but but like one recent study that was kind of looking at, at media habits and smartphone habits, especially now that or during kind of the season of quarantine and COVID and all of that stuff, uh, it was it, it, uh, one recent study kind of shows that a number of people are spending as many as 13 hours a day consuming all of these different forms. A day, yes, not a, a week. Yes, a day. So like we're talking max, people are spending two hours a week under the teaching of their church, but like up to 13 hours a day uh, listening to podcasts, which are great, by the way, uh, <laughs> watching TV, uh, you know, scrolling through social media. And, and you know, it, my sense is it, unless we are engaging this space and kind of entering in and thinking, what does it look like to engage politically as believers? All of those, these kind of other voices are going to be filling in that void. Uh, people are going to be shaped by sort of their their preferred radio host more than they are uh, by their, their pastors in that regard. And so for us, I think it's stepping in and saying, we're actually like, we're not afraid to talk about the issues. And I think we want, there, there are some spaces where we'll probably talk about some of the policy debates and say, hey, where are the tensions that we should be feeling as believers? But I think big picture uh, wanted to frame the conversation. What is sort of like a, a biblical theology of politics? Uh, how does this relate to uh, our identity as people created in the image of God, called to exercise dominion in the world? What does that look like for us as Christians who are citizens of a kingdom that is yet to be revealed, who live in these flesh and blood communities now meant to represent Jesus and kind of love our neighbors. What, what does this, uh, the ninth commandment, like you shall not bear false witness, how, how does that impact kind of our speech, uh, our, our thoughts, our media habits, uh, especially related to kind of this, this, these political conversations. So those are some of the things that, that we're leaning into there and, and the direction that we're trying to go. So if you get to the end of this class, you know, however many weeks from now, we all survive an election. <laughs> what does a win look like for you? Like, yeah. what are your hopes for this? Yeah, I think for us, um, one, I mean, there are a number of things that, that I, could, I could name, but I think in one sense, uh, one of the things that I want to instill is uh, that, that politics is complicated. <laughs> and I, I almost think that we uh, enter into this um, with sort of this end goal in mind. Um, we think about politics primarily through the, the kind of lens of our own context here in the United States, sort of electoral politics, like, you know, what party are you a part of? Are you not part of a party? And really what I want is for the folks who come through this class to walk away with, okay, how do I love God uh, in the way I engage this space? In, in what ways uh, do politics serve as a means of loving my neighbor? Um, 
how do I kind of navigate the difficult tensions of being a citizen of God's kingdom uh, who also wants to make a like positive impact here and now in the community that I, I find myself in? Um, th- that's complicated <laughs> because Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and that means there's never going to be like a, a particular party or system that is going to we're, we're going to feel fully aligned with at any given point. And so I think walking away with a sense of humility, uh, a sense of hope that Jesus is actually up to something in the world, and also an understanding of okay, like what does this look like to uh, you know dialogue and, and disagree with other believers who land in different places, but also look at them uh, as family. Uh, that, that I can't just kind of cast aside because we've landed in different places on like one particular policy question. Um, obviously, that's that's very big picture, uh, but those are the sorts of things that are kind of motivating what we're doing here. Well, I think that's a goal that many people would love to see accomplished. Um, I know so many of us are just fatigued by the way um, political conversation and uh, debate happens. And so um, you go with God, Sam. <laughs> thank you. Uh, please pray for us. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. And uh, listeners, you can catch Sam um, on Twitter as well. You're there. Um, what's your handle? Uh, it is Sam Heist, H-A-I-S-T. Uh, no space or anything like that in between there. Thanks for being with us, Sam. Thanks for having me. Well, Hannah, I feel like that conversation, again, infuses this with a bit of hope. It's it's almost like it's giving us a vision for how do we learn and how do we move forward. And in this political sphere, I think that's something that is uh, commendable and needed. And I'm so glad that Sam and his church are leading in this way. Yes. And as we mentioned, listeners can find Sam on Twitter. Um, he's out there sharing his own process. And when you come out to connect with him. You can connect with us. Um, we are at Persuasion CAPC on Twitter. And if you are part of the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum, of course, we can always have conversation there about the challenges of being gospel people who live into um, the common good. And of course, if you're not a member, you can become a member for just $5 a month and gain access not only to the conversations in the members forum, um, but to other goodies like digital downloads, um, the online magazine, um, and all kinds of good stuff, including the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting curious conversations that ask hopefully good questions. Thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this episode. And thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening to Persuasion. We're so glad that you do, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. Name.